Okay, so we are up to point D of unit three of God's economics. Point D is God does not need anything from anyone. He is looking at the heart, okay? God, I, you know, sometimes there are these TV preachers out there and they present uh, whatever it is that they're presenting and they they demand or request an offering as if God needs your money. And I, I you know, I think that's just a challenging witness for uh, people who are not believers to really get an understanding that if God owns everything and God is able to provide everything, then why? does God need my money? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. The truth of the matter is that God doesn't need anything from anyone. He owns it all. He controls it all. He's the one who apportions it all as he sees fit. So let's just quickly look at a couple of scriptures that really demonstrate that God is not looking at the money. God is looking at the heart. God is just as pleased with a two-mite offering than with a $10 million offering from somebody who has a hundred million dollars. You know, for a widow to give two mites, all that she has to live on, is so much more the heart that God is looking for because it shows her absolute faith and reliance on him. That's the heart that he's looking for. It's not about the money and it's not about the amount. It's about the heart. Okay, so let's jump into Psalm 50, starting with verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine. This is God speaking. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the fields is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. What God is looking for, he doesn't, you know, God is spirit. God doesn't actually eat these offerings. Now, this is an Old Testament context, right? God doesn't eat the bull. God doesn't eat the the sheep that are offered to him. He doesn't drink the wine offerings. He doesn't eat the grain offerings. He doesn't need any of that. God is not hungry. God is all-sufficient. God is self sufficient. God doesn't need anything from anyone. But what he's looking for is, he says, offer me a sacrifice of thanksgiving. You know, thank me. Say thank you to me. I'm the one that gave you life. I'm the one that provided everything that you have. So all I ask is that instead of claiming all the glory for yourself instead of thinking that you're the one who by your own strength, which you wouldn't have if I didn't give it to you in the first place, instead of thinking that by your own strength, you made all of this happen for yourself, just give me a little sacrifice by saying thank you. That's what God wants. Say thank you and perform your vows to the Most High. If you say you're going to do something, do it. If you know, people have this tendency, this is all over the world, no matter where they are. 
When they're in trouble, they cry out to God. And when they're in trouble, they cry out to God and they make God all of these promises of what they're going to do if God delivers on their request for help. But then God delivers on their request for help. And do they do it? Um, some of them do and some of them don't. Like even for me, I remember when I first cried out to God, I was in a difficult situation. I didn't even know the God I was crying out to, but I was crying out to God. And at that time, I I probably called like the universe or, you know, like I really had no, but I knew I was crying out to God and God answered my request. Well, in crying out to God, I had promised that I would do a certain things. And one of those things was I'll even get baptized. You know, like I figured that's something that God is really into. So I'm really needing his help right now. So maybe if I offer that I'll get baptized, then God will answer my request. Well, God did answer my request. And one of the first thoughts that went through my mind when I knew that the answer had come and I absolutely was certain that the answer had come from God, I thought, well, I guess I got to get baptized now. You know, God did his part, so I need to do my part. That's what it is. Perform your vows to the Most High. If you tell God that you're going to do something, do it. Have honor. Have integrity. Do what you say you're going to do. Otherwise, you are a liar and you have lied to God. So then that puts you back in the category of Ananias and Sapphira, who we talked about in the last class. You lied to God. Now, if you don't perform a vow, it's not exactly the same as lying because maybe you meant it when you said it. But what the scripture also says is that a righteous person fulfills his word even to his own hurt. So even if it becomes challenging for you to fulfill your word, a righteous person, if they have said it, they will do it. So God is just saying, hey, do right. Do right. When you per- when you make a vow to me, do what you say. And God is also saying, call upon me. When you're in trouble, don't try to fix the problem by yourself. And when you're in trouble, don't try to fix the problem with money on your own. Call upon me. Rely on me. When you're in trouble, call on me and I will answer you. And then you will give me great glory because I can do for you what no man can do, what you cannot do for yourself. And I will get glory from your life when you call upon me, when you rely on me for what you need. But all of this passage is saying, I don't need anything from you. I'm looking at your heart. Do you get who I am? Do you understand who I am? And if you do, then behave like someone who understands by doing these things. Another scripture that's here from Job chapter 41, God is again, he's rebuking Job in these passages. And a couple units ago or classes ago, we talked about Job chapter 38 through 41, and it's powerful stuff. God is rebuking Job for not understanding, even though Job had many, many words that, you know, and he wasn't wrong completely about God, but God is now telling Job things that he previously did not understand. And verse 11 says, Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever, whatever, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. God is like, uh, nobody ever gave anything to me that I didn't give to them first. 
Okay, you got to understand where the pecking order is here. Everything that you have, everything in the whole world is mine anyway. Paul said of something very similar to this to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 7, he says, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? Right? Everything that you have, maybe you think you earned it. You didn't. You got it because God wanted you to have it. Everything you have, you have received from God. And then he goes on. Paul continues, if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Okay, so that's what I just said. You, you're you boasting like you're the one who made it. You're the one who earned it. You're the one who did it. No, you didn't. Why are you boasting as if God is not the one who's in control of all the resources? But again, let's continue that God is not after the offerings or the sacrifices. God is not after your money. He's after the heart. So there was another time in Israel, in the the people of Israel, this is before they went off into exile, and Isaiah, he talks about this powerfully. He's rebuking the people to try to call them to repentance, right? So they're behaving in ways where they're giving offerings, but their heart is not in it. They're giving offerings out of obligation. They're giving offerings because that's what you do. They're giving offerings because it had become routine, but they're no longer giving offerings out of thankfulness and gratitude or just submitted obedience. There's a difference between heart-filled obedience and just, okay, this is the mundane, oh, right, I'm I'm a bit because that's what's required, so I'm doing what's required. Uh." Okay, so they were in that mode of they were just doing it because that's what you do, and they were doing it for show, but their heart was no longer in it. So God, through the prophet Isaiah, had some challenging words for them because he's trying to call them to repentance. Because judgment from nations, uh, Babylon and Assyria, had not yet come. God was doing everything in his power to try to prevent exile from coming, trying to prevent judgment from coming, calling his people to repentance so that he would not have to bring judgment upon their actions. But they didn't get the point. But let's listen. The words of Isaiah are very powerful and poignant. So this is Isaiah 1, starting with verse 11. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings and of rams and of the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings." Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me, and I am weary of bearing them. So God is like, okay, all of these things are required by law, but the law is not supposed to get you into religious obligation. It's all about the heart that you are acknowledging that all things come from God. But when you're doing it in vain and when you're doing it like, okay, well, God likes blood, so we got to shed some blood now. All right. uh, Okay. You know, no, 
You're offering something that is valuable to you. Like we talked about Solomon giving a $5 million offering or a $110 million offering saying, God, this is the most valuable thing that I have, but my heart is not with this. My heart is with you. Jesus even said, where your treasure is, your heart is. But at this time in Israel, they were giving some of their stuff, but their heart was not with the Lord. So Isaiah continues, the Lord continues speaking through Isaiah. We're up to verse 15. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. God is like, I don't want these offerings. I want your heart. I want you to do right. And we're going to talk about Isaiah 58. Uh, I think it's in unit five, but it's about the heart. It's not about all these other outward shows of religious behavior that make you look really good in front of people. But if your heart is not in it, then God knows your heart. He's saying, remove your evil, remove injustice, do right. Learn to do good. Do what is right. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the needy, to the fatherless, the orphan, the widow, the stranger, the foreigner. Do right. I don't care about your bulls and your lambs and your goats. Now, according to law, they were still required, but a lot this this passage is actually taught quite a bit uh, in some messianic communities. So messianic community, what that means is that they are Jewish people who have come to believe that Yeshua or Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. And many messianic communities include both Jew and Gentile that understand the Jewish heritage of the Christian faith. But the reason that this passage is taught so much is because they have a distinct understanding that they are no longer under the law, which requires the blood of bulls and lambs and goats for atonement. But we now have in the new covenant that the we have the blood of Jesus. So the blood of Jesus is worth more than any bulls and lambs and goats, all combined. The blood of Jesus, the Son of man, the son of God, is worth more than any of that. And so we're no longer under the system where God requires bulls and lambs and goats. Those things, when not offered in the right heart, are vain. They are to be seen by men. And God said, my soul hates them. It's an abomination to me when you give with the wrong heart. So the new covenant standard of this, when God says, wash yourself, make yourself clean, we go through the waters of baptism. But Paul, he says in Romans 12, now you are the sacrifice. Offer your life willingly. Offer your body, everything about you as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Jesus also says in another passage, if you will not renounce Announce everything that you have. You are not worthy to be my disciple. That's what Jesus said. So it's about not just the stuff, but everything. 
to the depths of the heart. Is God worth more to you than everything in this world? God is not after your stuff. He's after your heart. And your heart gets connected to all kinds of stuff. So God is trying to say, am I worth more to you than that stuff? Okay? Not about the stuff. It's about the heart. All right, last point. God does not want offerings that are not from the heart. Okay, we've covered this extensively. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we talked in the last class about David giving willingly all that he owned for the building of the temple of God, a place to honor the name of God. And he invited the Israelites to give a free will offering, not under compulsion, not because they had to, not under any obligation, but cheerfully, joyfully, thankfully giving unto the Lord for the building of his house. And they had actually done this in a prior example with the tabernacle of Moses after they came out of Egypt. They took an offering which we talked about in a prior unit, and they joyfully, willingly, not under compulsion or obligation, God said, let's take an offering and anyone whose heart stirs him, give according to what is in their heart to give. So God is looking at the heart. Are we joyfully giving to the Lord or are we begrudgingly giving to the Lord or are we giving, you know, if you are a faithful tither, does that come out of your bank account just as an automatic deduction and you don't even think about it anymore. You don't even give it with any intentionality. It just it just comes out and you don't, oh, okay, well, okay, whatever. You know, no, there's a heart involved in giving unto the Lord. God is looking that you're doing it willingly, not reluctantly, not because you have to, but that you're doing it joyfully and cheerfully because your heart is with him and your heart acknowledges that he owns it all. 